Hi, I'm Tim Barron, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast, where we examine the latest trends in digital marketing. The podcast is a production of Good to Be Social. Lawyers sell their knowledge and know-how, but how does one demonstrate what they know or that they are a player in a particular field? Jennifer Schaller joins us today to discuss content marketing, and in particular, thought leadership content. Jennifer is the Managing Director and Co-Founder of the National Law Review Online Edition. She started her career as an insurance coverage attorney and most recently served as in-house counsel. She's also held marketing and business development roles, and she brings that uniquely varied background to our conversation. Hi, Jennifer, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. It seems like just a short while ago, the legal profession was slow to adopt the entire concept of content marketing. And now, at least from what I see, it seems to be gushing from every corner. Do you see a trend in law firms producing more content? Well, what it used to be back in the day was firms would have their newsletter and they'd kind of send it out and it would be in paper or and it would include things about stuff that's going on at the law firm as well as legal development. What's really going on now is firms are learning what accounting and other professional firms learned a long time ago is that you sell your knowledge. Lawyers sell their knowledge in increments of time. So what better way to demonstrate you know what you're talking about and have that knowledge out there associated with your name and your firm's name by you know putting it out via thought leadership. So in the last few years, I personally have seen like some mid-sized firms and regional firms like a Mint 11 virtually go national and their writing and podcasting and videos kind of go along with that in their growth projection. Also, what we're seeing is with personal injury firms, uh, a few years ago, the stuff used to be really thin and very promotional, and we're seeing some very high-end, well-written stuff that's very helpful and very professional. So, you know, it, it looks a lot better. Most firms, too, are getting a lot better with understanding based some SEO concepts like, you know, don't post... 25 words once a month, go more for the longer form content. If you want to be known for something, you need to have something to say. So, you know, if you're trying to build up your your repertoire and your background, you need to go a little bit deeper into, into different types of topics. As you see firms producing more content, do you find that the strategy behind the content is lacking or do you think it aligns with what law firms should be doing as opposed to just saying, look, we know we need to produce more content, we'll just write a bunch of stuff? I think it depends on who's organizing it and how they structure it and what the goals are put around it. If, if something is built into an attorney's plan that's going to be part of what they're evaluated on at the end of the year and there's a structure added into it, you know, certain benchmarks and time marks where things have to be written, what gets put down on paper gets done uh, or get what, what get measures gets done. So you see a lot more that if there's just a bunch of people writing stuff, you'll see that as well. It, it just seems to be a little more scattered 
And in order to have either draw an audience to your content or SEO the content on your website, you have to be consistent in it. And it all needs to be somewhat related. Or if it's not related, you kind of post it in different places and kind of make them related. So it really depends on who's kind of coordinating it. I don't think inherently there's going to be coordination just by luck. So I see that more and more law firms are not just producing content. They're more concerned with strategy. So to your point, it takes a collaborative effort. And one of the things that you mentioned right off the bat was goals, which is something that people really need to keep in mind when creating content. But, you know, we've talked about content marketing and we haven't even addressed exactly what content marketing is. So for firms looking to get on board or for firms that have already started, what exactly is content marketing? And especially as it relates to law firms and how lawyers can get the word out there. I prefer to think of it as thought leadership marketing. What, really what you're doing is you're taking, since you are selling to a potential client your knowledge and your expertise, you're, you're sharing bits of that that you've come across in your everyday life or things that are out on the horizon. So, for instance, if you this client question that keeps coming up, obviously a significant number of people have the same concerns. So you put enough out there, you write some of the top, things that are related to that issue that keeps coming up in your practice and you know people are going to search for it and it's never going to be enough for people to do their own legal work in a corporate setting I mean you have to retain outside counsel often for a number of different reasons you know if your board requires it or you're just not expected to have that level of detail but if, if you find people are who are writing or answering questions that you have, they're going to be your go-to people, and plus they're going to see your name, and then they're going to relate it to that type of issue. And speaking of thought leadership, you have had a unique journey to thought leadership. I know you were a practicing attorney for many years, and you also served in marketing and business development roles. What's that journey been like to getting involved with thought leadership in the legal profession? My first kind of journey in this was more in coordinating knowledge within a large organization. I worked for Aon Corporation back in the mid-1990s and worked on one of the projects where it was such a large company and grew through acquisition. Other parts of the company didn't know what other people did. So there were a lot of different insurance companies and they wanted to keep the business in the corporation, but they'd be going to other resources because they didn't know. So I was involved in building one of the first internal databases for them where they were sharing knowledge within the company. And then we took that and we made it a public product. So I kind of had the, the taste of building and gathering information that would be useful to different people within an organization or without trying to kind of put the pieces together on things. When did I practice law? When I was practicing law, I was in charge of my practice groups. I used to be insurance coverage attorney, their newsletter. So I kind of learned the fundamentals of what to write or how to come up with ideas or how to structure things uh, through that exercise. And then when I went to work at a insurance company, we actually, as most folks will know, insurance 
departments within corporations are cost centers. So nobody ever says, yay, let's spend more money this year in legal. That would be a fun thing to do. There always is a lot of pressure to decrease costs. And we were getting a lot of pressure, as were my other friends who were in-house attorneys, to stop using Lexus, Westlaw, just for kind of background daily news searches. You know, don't read the Wall Street Journal via Lexus. It's very, very expensive to do. And also, they wanted us to start doing preliminary research on topics on the web. So at the same time, we were being bombarded with newsletters and, you know, e-alerts from law firms, from bar associations, from professional associations. But at the time it was being kind of pelted at, it wasn't the time that we needed it. So what ended up happening is we took the content that was being sent to us, me and a group of other in-house attorneys, and we set up a database, again, where we classified stuff that was coming in by type of law and jurisdiction So we could share it internally within our little group. And what ended up happening with that is law firms are like, well, how do we get in front of the claims and HR and corporate counsel people at, you know, CNA, Insurance, Zurich, Boeing, United Airlines, other Aon, other companies like that who are using this little resource. So we decided to partner with a well-known publisher and open it up as a public product because we knew if internally as as corporate attorneys and as we would share the information with our finance people and our HR people or claims people in an insurance company, if they had these questions and needed this resource, obviously other people would as well. How does content play a role? I mean, you alluded to this a little bit when you talked about in-house counsel and your experience with receiving client alerts and other information, even about Westlaw, Lexis, and this sort of fire hose of information. How does content play a role in the relationship between attorneys, and specifically corporate attorneys, or I should say especially corporate attorneys, and in-house counsel who are looking to hire outside firms? I used to hire outside firms every day, and I never hired a firm in the state of Illinois where I practice law. So they're always out of state. They're always on kind of random topics. A lot of them were insurance related, but sometimes they could be issues just related to, you know, employment law issues because we had employees and car accidents or other things like that. So I would ask around like with some of the claims people and maybe get a list of five law firms to go to. But often we were not restricted via a panel to pick specific firms. And so, you know, a lot of times they would just be names and I'd just look through their bios, look what they wrote and try to make a judgment call on, you know, who looks the best. And that would be my first phone call. So it did help. Obviously, it's going to help if you are sending to an in-house attorney content that's relative to them. It's going to kind of connect the dots when that issue comes up. Because the thing that you're sending to them that day isn't going to be the problem that they have that day. That, that's very likely. But it's a good way to, to keep top of mind that your name is associated with, with this type of problem that they may have. How does a lawyer demonstrate what they know in a particular field? And how does that likely get discovered an in-house counsel or a potential client? 
you have to kind of begin with the end in mind. One of the firms that we work with does commodities law. And some of the topics that they write on about regulations in Europe, about different commodity issues, or even in the States, there might be, you know, 300 people in the world who are interested in this topic. So a good result for an article like that for readership is, is, you know, if they get 100 reads, that's phenomenal. But other things, you know, more like labor law and immigration that are broader based, you're going to expect higher numbers. So you need, again, to look at stuff that you have questions on or that your clients are having questions on. If, if other people have questions, I mean, how it's found in search is by people asking questions and trying to find the content. So in a certain way, you maybe need to begin with thinking what people would ask you. Also, too, I mean, it depends on where you're at. You can tailor certain issues related to your specific region, like how tariffs may impact a specific geographic area, or if you're deeply embedded into an industry, you can take current events and tailor it to how it impacts that industry. So that's also something that you can do that's a little bit deeper and more tailored to the people that either are currently buying from you or you would like to have buy from you. You know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that you said if there are 300 people in the industry, you're only getting 100 readers for something. That's really good. I think sometimes we get too overly concerned with just the hard numbers. Like, how, why is my Twitter account not growing? Why is my blog not being read by more people? If it's being read by the right people or being followed by the right people, that's all that matters, right? So we started, we started in addition to the podcast that we have, um, like this one, we started doing podcasting for a few law firms, and that's one of the questions that we get. You know, if you get 100 downloads or if you get a couple of 100 downloads compared to our blog posts that get maybe, a, you know, 500 down, uh, views. But yeah, if you look at the views and you see that someone is spending only 30 seconds on that, they're not really reading it, right? They, they quickly look, scan the headline and they're gone. If you have just 100 folks listening to your podcast for 20 minutes or however long it is, that's devotion, that's loyalty. Those, that's the kind of numbers you should be looking at. Well, exactly. And also, too, it depends on the kind of the wheelhouse that you play in. One example that always resonates me is a rather recent one is there's a regional law firm up in Wisconsin, and they wrote a two-piece series on, like, uh, leasing and other liability issues related, related to, like, Kia in either shopping malls or downtown areas. And the articles did good. I mean, they got a couple thousand reads. They didn't get, you know, 100,000 reads. But when we looked at the analytics on them, it was all coming from, you know, Kohl's, from, you know, regional AT&T, from towns in that area. So those are the exact faces and eyes that you wanted to have on that content. So it depends. I think sometimes with attorneys, you need to manage their expectations. You're not going to be as exciting as some of the other stuff that's going on in the news. But if you want to hit a critical audience, that's, you know, that was a phenomenal result. Then that article also, as I mentioned, got picked up 
by uh, Specialty Retail, I think is the name of the magazine. So not only did they hit like all the hot spots or people in the region or, and the companies in the region that they wanted or a good chunk of them, it then went out on a broader basis. So I think that's a really big home run, but the numbers on it, you know, are not astronomical. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. Any last takeaways for what's new or what's coming on the pike in thought leadership content and even as importantly or even more importantly, how lawyers can get started? I think lawyers can get started by keeping track and kind of chunking out of the stuff that they're currently writing and brief. If they had to research it, other people have had to research it as well. So you can spend that into something that would be relatively interesting. It may not be interesting to a broad audience, but obviously it would be interesting to the people that you're trying to attract as clients. So start looking, you know, for content ideas, start pulling out the stuff that you're working every day, set a basis of how much you want to publish each month. And then I think going forward, I think there's a great opportunity for law firms who have been doing things right all along to really grow through what is now known through semantic search, where you kind of tie all the different pieces together with your people who are linking to you, with your social media profiles, with things that you're linking out to, to kind of develop a more holistic picture of what you do. I think there's a lot of good opportunities with your thought leadership to kind of tie that back or enhance the different parts of your law firm's website. We have a blog post and I think another podcast episode on semantic search, and we'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. Jennifer, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Useful, useful takeaways. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me, and I hope you have a great day. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. And we'd love it if you also left a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud and Google Play and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with digital marketing and how to make it work for you and for your firm? If so, please go to lawfirmmarketinghelp.com and sign up for a free digital audit. The audit will provide you with all of the information you need to build a blueprint for your digital marketing strategy to produce the results you want. You'll find the show notes for this episode along with all of the Legal Marketing 2.0 episodes at goodtobesocial.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.